Hey guys, just a quick note. As some or all of you know, I am Ukrainian American. I was born and raised in Ukraine. And so in my business sense and my hard attempt to support freedom and to stand with Ukraine, my company, You to Shine, has launched a line of products where 100% of the profit goes to buy much needed supplies for Ukrainian people and then ship them without overhead, without any cost, all run by volunteers who are close, clients and friends, um, both here in US to acquire supplies and then in Ukraine. With that, if you would like to participate in this effort, please go to store.u2shine.com and that is S-T-O-R-E dot Y-U-2 S-H-I-N-E dot com. With every product that you buy, the profit from that product goes 100% to support Ukraine. Please wear the gear with pride and share the word. Thank you so much and much love to you as you stand for freedom, as you stand for peace, and as you stand with Ukraine. In the world of many internal and external voices, the voice you listen to is the voice that dictates your life. Would you like to discover a clear path to a life of freedom and fulfillment? Then welcome to All About The Voice podcast, where we focus on awareness, alignment, and action in order to live a life of abundance. I am your host, Victoria Rader. Yvonne Caputo is a deliciously semi-retired author, VP of Human Resources, psychotherapist, and trainer. Her life has changed in a radical way when she listened to her father in a brand new way, telling his stories of World War II. Here is Yvonne, a voice for truly listening to one's story. All right, and here with me today is gracious and indeed deliciously semi-retired Yvonne Caputo. Yvonne, welcome, welcome to All About the Voice podcast. Thank you very much. It's a great thing to be here. Now, Yvonne, I've got to lean into this deliciously semi-retired concept. What is it and why is it delicious? I had no idea that in my retirement... I was going to take on a brand new career. And that's as an author and someone who's in charge of marketing the book that she wrote. If someone would have said to me in retirement that I would have published a book, I would have said, no way. It wasn't on my radar. It wasn't a dream. But as you know, with my book, Flying With That, I was just pushed I thought that the stories that dad had given me were just so powerful that I really did have something. So once I got that internal, it's a voice, that little internal niggly voice that says, go for it, go for it. Go with me to that first moment of leaning into that prompting. And how did it come about? How did the book come about in the beginning? In the beginning... I was on the phone with my father, who was a brittle diabetic and who also lived on the other side of the state. 
And weekly conversations generally centered on dialysis treatments, medical reports, in-home care. And then we struggled with something to talk about. But on one night, he told me a funny, quirky, off-the-wall story about something that's not funny, and that's making an emergency landing Mm -hmm. in free Belgium. And I said to dad, I'd like to go and get a pencil and paper. I want to write this down. And his response in this deep voice was, what the hell do you want to do that for? (laughs) Well, the next week, I was so smitten with that one story, I wondered if he had more. So I said, would you start at the beginning? And he did. And very early on, I realized this wasn't Eisenhower talking. Mm. This wasn't a famous general. This was an ordinary GI who, in the beginning, when he was a young man, had a presidential deferment that would have kept him from going overseas. Mm. But because he did something that just blew me out of the water, he created a wing for a plane called an AT-6. Wow. When the wing was attached to this training plane, the pilot who was going to test it knew how the wing had come to be and said to my dad, is it going to fly? Dad said, yeah, it's going to (laughs) fly. You're sure it's going to fly? Yeah. And after prompting dad like this several times, he said, well, good son, get in. Because if it goes down, you're going down with it. So out of my dad's mouth was, hon, I didn't want to fix him anymore. I wanted to fly him. And he started the process of petitioning to get out of his presidential deferment so that he could become a cadet in the Air Force. Incredible. In the Army Air Force. Incredible. You know, when we say ordinary, I just always think, yeah, it's ordinary for us to be uniquely genius. You know, that's an ordinary state of thing. (laughs) You know, the ordinary person with an inkling of a genius who took an extraordinary step to serve his country. And I love that. I don't want to fix him anymore. I want to fly. And your take on it is really great because in the beginning, I titled the book, An Extraordinary, Ordinary Man. Oh, I have chills all over because yeah. I just met your dad, I believe. I just I met think your you dad. <laughs> oh, how powerful. How powerful. Now, I know that I I will want to buy the book and it's flying with dad. And what was a part of me is just so eager to know what was that first story that piqued your interest and said, wait a minute, I want to write it down. What was the story? Okay. So they flew B-24s, his crew, and dad was the navigator and they lost their third engine and As I understand it, the third engine is also the one that controls the hydraulics in the plane. And they radioed to be able to land in Belgium. And they were radioed back and said, go on to Brussels. And dad, being the navigator, said, we're not going to make it to Brussels. We need to land sooner. So they landed in Liège, Belgium, which happened to be at the time a U.S. Army Air Force hospital base. So there were so many GIs around. There were so many people around. There was no place at the inn. 
And so dad and his crew were billeted above a bistro. (laughs) Now, the owner of the bistro came to dad and said, do you have cigarettes? And dad said, of course we do. They were a part of the sea rations that every person on the crew carried. In the event that they were captured, they had these American cigarettes to buy them out of trouble. Mm-hmm. So the owner of the bistro said, can you also get a truck? Dad said, sure. So in the middle of the night, they drive out into the Belgian countryside, scrape hay barrels out of the way, start digging in the dirt underneath, and come up with cases of French champagne. Oh. All right. So the French champagne gets loaded on the repaired airplane and gets flown back to my father's base in Rackheath, England. Dad goes and gets the military police and says, guard this plane because we've got top secret information. Mm-hmm. The top secret information was loaded on trucks and half of it was given to the non-com club and the other half was given to the officers club. The result of which the following morning, the base commander was really curious as to how his men were not in really good shape. Dad finished the story was saying, but that was easily fixed because all the men had to do was to breathe pure oxygen Mm -hmm. and their heads were cleared and Mm -hmm. they were ready to fly. So that's the story that got me. Well, that would have gotten me. That got me. I'm like, well, you know, do we need to continue the, you know, the podcast or can I just, can you just read the book out loud as I drool and learn? And, and I loved what you said that this is, this is the boots on the ground. This is the story as it is lived through, not it is needs to be framed through any political or otherwise agenda. You know, what a gift it is to me. Now, when you were writing this, book, you know, story after story after story. And my understanding is you have started it in 2008, correct? When the conversation Mm -hmm. started the first time. And tell me the experience your dad had through that. And at what point have you and him realized that this was more than just sharing stories? Hindsight is 2020. Mm -hmm. And I believe that there was a single moment in the taking down his story, that something began to shift between us. He did his basic training in Miami Beach. They were billeted in hotels. Miami was a uh, basic training center. I mean, people weren't traveling. So these hotels were open to having the army, you know, keep their cadets there. So I said to dad, I said, what was the name of the hotel? And he said, I don't remember I said, well, do you remember where it was? He said, yes, it was on Collings Avenue and another intersection. And I said, okay. So I started doing some research on the internet. And I would send a picture of dad via email and say, is this it? Nah, that's not it. Is this it? Nah, that's not it. About the fourth time, he said, yes, that's it. Bingo. Good work. Love you, dad. And my hindsight is my father had this new look at me Mm. that I was so intensely interested in his story 
that I would go to those links to find out the name of the hotel where he was stationed. And what happened after that story is they became more personal. I began to see more of the man to the point that he shared his nightmares Mm. and his flashback. And I'm a psychotherapist. So when dad told me about the nightmares and that they lasted for three years, it was the same nightmare over and over again. And when he would wake up screaming in the middle of the night, mom would say, what is it, Mike? And his response was, it's not that bad. It's nothing. Mm. The nightmare was so intense that he literally dug holes Mm. in the mattress. And that was because in the nightmare, the plane was going down. He was trying to bail out. He needed to go through this narrow passageway. And in the dream, the passageway is lined with stainless steel. So he can't get purchase. He can't get anything to grab on to pull himself through. Mm -hmm. So I said to dad, when he told me about the nightmare, I said, dad, it makes me sad that your generation didn't know that nightmares were normal, given what you witnessed. And he said, what the hell do you mean? And I said, when anybody views the horrific things that you viewed, your brain latches onto those things. And the nightmares are there to try and help you or not to realize what it is that you've been through. Mm. I said, so had you known that or had you gotten some help, there are ways that you could have made those nightmares decrease in intensity and finally go away probably much sooner than they did. Mm. Victoria, I could almost hear my father's shoulders drop (laughs) that perhaps 50 years later, he finds out that what he thought was something wrong with him was normal in nature. And the same thing happened when he told me about a flashback. He and a buddy went to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, and they have a huge museum. And Dad went right to the Second World War section of the museum and made a beeline for the B-24, which was his plane. And he's walking down one side of the plane and around the tail. And parked next to this B-24 was a German Messerschmitt 262, a jet. And when dad saw that, he collapsed. He lost consciousness. When he came to, his friend said, what happened? And dad said, I don't know. Mm. So I explained to dad what a flashback was. I said, There's a little part of your brain that doesn't forget anything. So, Dad, tell me about the Messerschmitt. He said, oh, honey, it was so fast. Our gunners couldn't track them. We couldn't shoot them out of the sky. And they were so fast and adept that they could come over us and they could come under us. And we're flying in these tight formations where we can't move other than go forward. And we were sitting ducks. So here again, I could almost hear his shoulders drop when I would tell him that that's a normal experience from having witnessed abnormal events. 
And with that, the trust really deepened. Mm-hmm. And dad, thank goodness, stayed alive until I came home to be with him on his final journey. Oh, Yvonne, you know, and I want to go there with you, but you've just given such gold, I think, for our All About the Voice family here is that I wonder how healing those words are. It's normal. How empowering and healing those words are. And in your practice as a psychotherapist, how many times you just telling somebody it's normal to experience what you experience for being human. I think there could be a whole other book written. It's normal to be human. And these are the experiences you're going to experience as humans. So talk to me a little bit about that concept. Well, when you say those words, what it takes me right to is in my work as an employee assistant therapist, I would get called out to do debriefings. And this was a process that was done after employees either had been in a bank robbery or there was an industrial accident and somebody got really hurt or someone that they knew committed suicide. And those companies would call us in to do what's called critical incident stress debriefing. And it's a very simple process, but one of the steps in the process is to hand, literally hand a document to folks who had experienced these awful things and to say, here are some physical things that you might experience. Here are some behavioral things that you might experience. Here are some emotional things that you might experience. Know that all of these are normal to what it is that you've just been through. Now, as an aside to that, one human resource professional called me back after I had done a debriefing. And she said one of her employees came to her and said, that was so helpful. I now understand all of the things that I've experienced since my mother died were just normal to the process of losing her. Yeah. It's very, very empowering to me to hear that. And just to, you know, and I've, and I've seen that in, in the unique practice that I do, I've seen the power of those words. And, but in addition, I think to that gift of normalcy and opening your dad up, I can't help but to, hear you listening to him. I can't help but to hear your silence in these stories. I think giving sacred space for somebody to pour their heart out, how did that develop? And did you start it naturally from being a psychotherapist? Did that develop into that listening? I think that it started as a process of all of the careers that I've had along the way. That if as a teacher, to really listen to the stories that my students were telling me. Yvonne, you know, take, to, take us through your journey. You've, you've, take us through the journey of how you've been guided from place to place so that we have an overall path from your first profession and to Yvonne, the author today. How did that go? Elementary school teacher, mm-hmm. middle school teacher, took a group of children to England And we were together 24-7, and when they fell apart on me, as children will do, 
I went on to get a second master's degree in psych or in clinical psychology, moved across the state, wasn't able to find a teaching position. So started as an employee assistance counselor and trainer, and then ended up as a human resource professional with the elderly. So all of those careers, I think really my journey was to have this conversation with my father. It was all in preparation for me to, as I tell many people, through the stories, I received the father I always wanted. And he got the daughter he didn't know he had. <laughs> and there was, there was this bond. And it's interesting to your question, because my brother said, how did you do that? How did you get dad to open up like that? And I said to him, I said, I listened. I really listened. And of course, added to that, if there was something that I didn't understand, to be able to ask that open-ended question that would get dad to explain more or to go deeper. Mm -hmm. So once you did that manuscript, you wrote the first manuscript, where was dad then? And did he get to read it? What happened? Dad got to read the first draft or parts of the first draft. Dad did this thing of ending up in the hospital around Christmas time. And my sister and brother and I both really believe or all believe that he was such a character. And when he was in the hospital, everybody was doting on him. And he had this family because none of his children were with him. And my husband and I uh, went across the state to visit with dad. And I said to him, I have your Christmas present. And your Christmas present, I handed him the first draft. And I read a story to him that is really one of the stories in the book that's so near and dear to my heart. And so as I was leaving the hospital to start the journey back home again, I said to dad, I said, I'm just so proud of you. And he said, what for? I said, because of your service. And he said, no, hon, I'm proud of you. You wrote the book. Hmm. So yes, dad did get to see the first draft. Hmm. And I'm sure in a different way, he's probably been watching over and supporting you on the journey here. <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. There are times when, when I was writing and I got stuck I would just hear this voice in my head and it was my dad saying, you know, keep at it. You'll get there. Keep plugging away. And to tell you too, the second section of the book, my editor encouraged me to write it in my father's voice. And I went like, yeah, how am I supposed to do that? Well, I have all the letters that my father wrote to my mother during the war. So I pulled those off the shelf and I started reading and reading and reading. And all of a sudden, my father's voice came to me. So here we are. It's all about the voice. So that whole second section is written from his perspective. So from time to time, again, when I would start to struggle, I just got this sense that he said, I trust you. You'll be able to do it. You'll be able to capture who I am. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful gift. Beautiful, beautiful gift. 
So I couldn't just agree and honor your path more of being guided, of solving. You know, it's just asking that question. I think actually in your in your podcast uh, questionnaire, there was this whole thing about, you know, you just ask what's the right thing to do now. And to me, when people say, what is guidance? It's kind of simple. You're stuck. You in London with a bunch of teenagers losing their emotions and you say, okay, okay, how do I handle it? And the, the little prompting says, go get another master's. And amazingly, then you go and do. And all of it coming through your life and coming through your journey so, so beautifully for us. What do you think is the main purpose for this book as you see it? I want children to listen to their parents' stories. Mm. And I want parents to tell their children their stories. People who've reacted to the book have said to me that they had a parent that was in the Second World War, and they never heard a thing. That parent never opened up and shared those stories. But that's also true of all of the generations. So when I was open to hearing my father's story in this really deep way, I was able to see the man that I wanted so badly to know. Mm. And it shifted everything from this, okay, did I know he loved me? Absolutely. Was there a roof over our head? Was there food on the table? Was he in the bedroom next to me every night? Absolutely. But having those intimate conversations with my father were things I always longed for, but didn't get. Mm -hmm. And it was when I was willing to go to him which is something my mother told me 30 years before, when I was willing to go to him and meet him where he was, then he was able to open up and let me in. And then he was then open to me doing some things that were pretty tough to do. I did get advanced directives with my father where he mm. named his healthcare agent and where he said what he wanted when the time came. But there's also a document called the five wishes that is an advanced directive with heart. And if you can imagine me in uh, my car driving across the state and I've got this five wishes document on the seat beside me and I'm like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to open it up? How am I going to get dad to talk, you know, in this even deeper way? But because I had done this listening, when I sat down beside him, he was ready to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I knew how he wanted to be remembered. I knew what he wanted his children to think of him. I knew what he wanted when the time came. He wanted to be carried feet first out of his own home. And it happened that mm -hmm. way. He wanted a funeral. Um, he wanted... We were raised Roman Catholic, so he wanted the high mass. He said that the readings could be our choice. My husband has a gorgeous tenor voice. He said, your husband will sing, yeah. and your husband will sing Amazing Grace and the Ave Maria and the Lord's Prayer. And then when he found out that I was doing voice lessons, he said, you're going to sing too. <laughs> yeah. And he said, you kids can choose the scriptures. But then he got into his characteristic self and said, 
And by the way, you know that part where people stand up and talk about you at your funeral? I don't want that. Oh. If they haven't said it to my face, then don't bother saying it to me at the funeral. <laughs> so all of that stuff was laid out so that in the end, all of those things were put into place for mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. You know, as you were talking, what came to me that so in the end, he was set for a new beginning. <laughs> and so and so was your book. And so and I know the book, uh, you know, got published, uh, what, 11 years, 10 years later, I guess, 2019. So is available. I'll be leaving the links for that. And while the time flew by, Yvonne, I always ask these three questions at the end of each uh, episode that I want to ask you. And the first one is, if there was a moment in your life where you needed your support, your encouragement the most? What was that moment? And what would you tell yourself from the point of wisdom today? There was a time when I was going through a rough patch. And I was much younger. And I do remember my dad, we were in the family room, standing in front of the fireplace. And dad said to me, what do you need? And I said, Dad, I just need you to hold me. And that was the beginning of these kind of warm, welcoming bear hugs that Dad would give. Mm-hmm. So that would be a moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you would just tell yourself to ask for it, and you have. So asking for what we need, that's beautiful. And if Yvonne comes to you from the future, future Yvonne, 20 years, sits down right there by you, what would she tell you today? What do you need to hear from her? You're done good. (laughs) I love that. I'm with her. (laughs) And finally, finally, if there is uh, one... um, I guess, a saying or one quote or one main message you want our All About the Voice family here today, what would that be? It's simplistic, but there's so much going on underneath it. When life hands you lemons, make lemonade. Beautiful. There are going to be these times that are going to be stressful, and you don't think you're ever going to get through them. But... If you pursue it and live it or do whatever you need to do with it, there will be lessons and beautiful things that come afterwards. You get your lemonade. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today, Yvonne. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was Yvonne Caputo, the author of Flying with Dad. Which part of your life are you done fixing? Are you ready to be flying instead? Grab Yvonne's book as a guide. All links are in the notes to the episode. This is all about the voice podcast, and I want to hear your voice. What has been of the greatest value to you today? Share your insight and share this episode with others. All links are in the description. I also want to invite the voice of happiness into your life via our iHappy Daily and iHappy Me apps, our daily energy boosters. You can download these apps, including a free version of iHappyMe from the Apple App Store or the Google Play App Store. For the voice of daily encouragement, grow with us with our free My Tree of Life Facebook group. If you want to join us in exploring how you can live your life with more freedom, head over to youtoshine.com. That is YU2SHINE.com. 
I can't wait to get to know you and be a part of your journey of endless possibilities. Thank you again for listening to All About the Voice. I'm Victoria Rader, and I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.